Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Screen Presents Hot Takes, the podcast where we watch new movies and then come straight to you, the listener, with our fresh impressions. I'm Jack Kaljeski, joined today by Bernadette Gorman-White. Hello. And Diana DeMuro. Hey, hey. How are you two? Good. It's nice, yeah. nice to see your faces again. <laughs> nice to see your faces as well. It's been a minute. We're in it. We're in the summer now. We're- the hot, The hot summer, hot movies, blockbusters coming out left and right, triple A's. <laughs> If only. I want to see not. Wonder Woman. Damn it. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean 12. <laughs> what happened? No. Um, well, you know, we're still in quarantine. We're still at home. Mm-hmm. But we're still watching movies. Movies are still coming out. They are. Although yeah. maybe not maybe not the big the big Tanae delayed. Right. Right. Uh, I hope Tanae gets delayed Nolan's even more. Tanae. Yeah. I do too. I hope they, they push they it. They delayed Tenet like Two weeks. They were like, okay, July 17th. For yeah, real. Yeah, two in movie weeks? Theaters. Coming to you. I'm like, no. And then they were like, actually, uh, July 30th. Yeah, well, it'll be fine by then. We'll be no. all right. Mm, Read the know, room Chris. today. Read the room. No, Chris. <laughs> um, but uh, thankfully, we are still getting some, some, some smaller, some more independent uh, movies coming out direct to VOD. Um, and we're going to talk about one such movie today. Uh, what are we talking about today? Ooh, Shirley, ladies. Which Shirley? What? It's it's a weird title for that Shirley, movie. We're talking about a movie. We're just yeah. Shirley. Shirley, you're joking. We're talking about Shirley. Yeah, Shirley. <laughs> Shirley. Yeah, Shirley uh, is the new flick by um, director Josephine Decker. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Um, it's a bit of an odd one. Starring it's, Elizabeth uh, Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss, Odessa Young. Um, Great performance by uh, Michael Stolberg as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, all the performances are great. I'll say that at the top. Yeah, Michael Stolberg is just like the professor now. He's yeah. just like, if yeah, you need a professor really... in your movie, grab Michael Stolberg. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, he's really just, yeah, he's just a professor all the time. He's got that like professor look, you know, those big <laughs> glasses, that big beard, professorly hair. Yeah, the beard suits him. It does. Um. <laughs> And then really rounding out this cast is uh, Logan Lerman, who I like stared at him for a minute and I was like, who yeah. is this pretty generic looking white dude? Uh, I know I've Mike seen- Mike was saying that too, because he watched it with me and I was like, it's Perks of Being a Wallflower Kid, if you've seen that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is that the 13 Reasons Why kid? No, those no. two kids look a lot alike though. <laughs> and then Eleanor was like, no, that's the guy from that superhero movie that's really violent. I was like- well, you got to give me more than that. Ooh. She's like, uh, which one? Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Taylor Thomas. No, Aaron, 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 Aaron Taylor Johnson. Oh, no, <laughs> they're all. The I was like, that's a completely yeah. different human being. No. A, that guy j- got jacked. But, He's uh, huge now. Logan Lerman is now, I haven't watched it yet. He's on that Hunters show. Hunters. With Al Pacino, yeah. which I've heard mixed things, but I still kind of want to watch it. Yeah, that is where I recognized him from. Yeah, and he uh, is good in I, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I will say that. I have actually, yeah, I've never seen Perks of Being yeah. a Wallflower. Yeah, yeah Logan uh, Lerman is definitely in a lot of popular things. Yeah, like he was oh, Percy Jackson, Percy but I haven't seen any of those. I saw, uh, okay. I saw the first Percy Jackson. The first Percy Jackson has um, Pierce Brosnan in it, which is hilarious. Is weird. He's a Just centaur. Weird. It's so weird. <laughs> Oh, I could get it. Makes yeah, me uncomfortable. I love that. It's kind of good, like but that. it's it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could go for a half horse Brosnan. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, I I admittedly got like maybe halfway through Hunters and then was like, I think I'm good. Okay, good to know. Good yeah, to know. Unfortunately. Yeah, I was well, back. I was in the car uh, coming back from the airport at one time and heard like a radio synopsis of Hunters and just heard it was abysmal. So Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't love the writing of it. I felt like the it st- like was trying to go for that like kind of... 70s like action yeah over the top like style but then doesn't like kind of whip back and forth with its tone it was just really kind of all over anyway Interesting. we're not talking about no we're not talking about hunters today no we're not talking about Percy being a wallflower or <laughs> percy jackson or, or centaur centaur uh bond we were talking <laughs> about shirley yeah um so what what is this movie this is like like we said it's kind of a it's kind of um an interesting one. This is not it, a biopic, um, even though not a biopic, even no. though it is based on on a real writer, Shirley Jackson. I'll put that. Right. I'll put that yes. out there because I've yeah. Have either of you read anything by Shirley Jackson before? Uh, I'm familiar with the lottery. Yeah, me but too. Other than the, that, yeah, the story nothing. that's in the New Yorker in the movie that's a real thing. I yeah, I've I've read that, but that's it. Okay, I I've not. I'm completely unfamiliar with her work. I've not heard of her before this movie although i will say now that i've seen this movie i'm definitely interested in going and checking out some of her work totally yeah i thought it was weird that this film was also billed as like a horror thriller Mm. and i definitely don't think it's that either No. no i agree with you there although there is scenes of you know it's a very tense movie yeah it's a very claustrophobic movie and it's a movie that more psychological. Ahead, oh, I was just going to say it's more of a psychological thriller than anything else if if you're going to call it a thriller. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's more of um a character study than a biopic at all. Yes. Um and it's interesting because uh I was reading a little bit from uh, an interview with Josephine Decker which was getting into how um this movie is executively produced by Mar- Martin Scorsese. Mm. Um and like how that came about. Um It's a good interview. Um I don't remember where it's from, so you can just look that up. I'm, I'm sure it'll come up in Google. But um, um, she was talking about how so Shirley Jackson was a writer, more of like a horror thriller kind of writer, um, right. and she wanted this movie to be less of like a uh, a direct biopic about her life and more almost like taking place inside one of her own stories. That's cool. Which I think is interesting. It's got kind of a unique perspective where it it sort of phases back and forth between ostensibly what's going on really in in real life and the relationship between Shirley and her husband and then this young couple who comes to live with them right um and how it kind of phases back and forth uh between um their real life and then the book that she's trying to yeah it's definitely some storytelling and then visually trying to piece together if that's actually happening or if it's just her imagination Yeah. yeah It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I and that's something that I, I think is is really interesting in in movies when you have a film that's really about like a creator in the midst of creating and the toll that that can take on them, and then how the lines between real life and their creation can kind of uh, kind of be drawn. Yeah, and definitely how maybe people in their real life are factoring in as inspiration or an influence on the story. Cause you know, mm-hmm. the, the way that they use the character of the wife of the young couple Rose, and then 
when Shirley is imagining scenes in the in the her novel, she's imagining the character physically as Rose, but it's not Rose. It's this other right. woman, Paula. But yeah, it's pretty interesting to see it like that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think the movie works more for me the more absurd it gets. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah. And I think the ending is fairly bold because it does leave you in a place where you wonder if Did this that person happen? is even real. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, as, as always with hot takes, we'll, we'll keep the first uh, 15, 20 minutes or so generally spoiler free. We'll just kind of give our impressions and we'll, we'll dive into some story specific details after the uh, quick break. But yeah, yeah, I definitely want to come back to that ending. I, I definitely want to dig into that ending some more because I thought it was really interesting. So did, I know. did either of you oh, guys God. ever see Madeline's Madeline? I haven't seen it yet and I want that's to. That's what I was going to ask you about yeah. as well. Yeah. Is that another film so that, by the same director? That's the, mm-hmm. I guess, the first film, first major film by Josephine Decker and it came out last year. And I know Mike saw it because he recommended it, but I didn't get a chance to catch it. Um, but I think it also deals a little bit with like sort of like a student teacher type relationship and so or like okay. a mentor mentee type relationship and so i would be curious to see that um and mike was like i wonder how weird this movie's gonna be because that movie's pretty weird so i was like ah this movie's getting weird okay <laughs> yeah this it's very fair to say that this movie is weird it's it's i think it's it's one of those movies that is shot in one of those ways that feels um, very disorienting. Yes, a lot of the time. Totally. Um, very, very claustrophobic. There's a lot of um, movement around the characters in kind of tight, darkly lit spaces. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of the dialogue also is very. It's not quite manic. It's not quite to the like uncut gems level of everybody shouting to each other, but it's almost got that feel of like a we're all mad down here. Like all of these characters are very eccentric, uh, surely being the focus and maybe the most eccentric, but definitely not the only eccentric person yeah, in this movie. Yeah, they're definitely trying to push each other's buttons also, which makes Absolutely. the dialogue really like levels of uncomfortable at times, depending on what's going on. Yeah, and something I want to dig into more is like, who is really the crazy one here and who maybe has pushed who into being where they're at totally um which i think is one of the int- really uh, uh interesting themes that's going on in this movie oh yeah but um i do think so i i generally liked this movie i really respect like what it's going for but i did find at least i found myself wishing that i could have seen this in a theater because mm. i think movies like this especially where um most of the dialogue is can be pretty disorienting and kind of like what's the right word um they're, none of it is is direct. They're not really saying exactly. There's there's nothing going on. Like the conversation in this movie is not just kind of explaining what's going on. It's all almost abstracted in a way, and they're kind of just chattering. The characters are kind of just chattering at each other in a way that's um, gives a lot of texture. And the performances are really great, I think. But it's can be a little bit difficult to follow, and especially with the the kind of disorienting camera work that I was talking about. It's like yeah. Almost a little difficult to focus on this movie. The I camera work and definitely f- kind of threw me off initially, so you feel disoriented, which I, you know, I feel is intentional. But yeah, exactly where you're sort of takes a little while to get into the story. I right. think too that uh, if you're not familiar with this filmmaker's work, I I did find in the beginning of the film that it was very bold 
to force this language upon you, which mm. the movie is speaking right. through. Yeah. And it did set me aback. It took me a little bit to get into the film. I enjoyed kind of what it was doing, but yeah. I thought it was almost a little too flowery at first. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I was a little um, let down, and we'll get obviously into this. I found the ending, for lack of a better term, to be a little derivative towards the end. So oh, I thought it was interesting, interesting that in the middle – um, I was into it the most, but I think it's because the journey wasn't complete yet, nor was it the beginning of the journey, which took me a little bit to get into. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could say, yeah, you're definitely really caught up right in the middle for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. I think I definitely want to talk specifically about some of the characters' relationships with each other. Yeah, it it goes a lot of different directions with the relationships between all four of these characters, but. Doesn't really, and that's fine. It, uh, I don't think it needs to like tie any of these things up with a bow. But it, it, I maybe would have liked to see it go a little, a little further, sure. or, or be more conclusive. And again, that's that's a personal preference thing. Like, you don't really. I didn't find any sort of satisfaction really in it, mm. which again is probably probably you know, intentional. I think yeah. I think at least some of that yeah. is intentional for sure. But it, the movie is, you know, maybe a little more challenging in that way. Right. And that's something to kind of temper your expectations with. Sure. I think I'm experiencing a lot of things in this quarantine um, on very different levels than uh, what I normally would. Like you said, Jack, mm-hmm. you feel like you would have had a better experience maybe watching this in a theater. And maybe yeah. because we were robbed of that experience, I do f- find myself drawn to this film almost as a piece of art. Mm. But as a movie itself... I I don't hate it by any means because there's really nothing to hate, but I wouldn't say I was absolutely wild for it as right. a film. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where the movie theater part comes in for me because when I'm sitting in a theater watching a movie like this, I can really – I'm you know, I'm in a black box. I'm kind of – my the entirety of my focus is 100% devoted to a movie like this. Right. Which is good because it's probably what the, some a movie like this demands, really, to keep up with what's going on. Especially because, like I said, none of the dialogue is really um, explicit or straightforward. Um, so, but when I'm at home, if if I'm having a hard time really fully sinking into a movie or keeping up with what's going on, I can find myself getting a little bit distracted pretty easily. Sure, with just everything that's going on at home, like. It's a lot easier to just like pick up your phone or like look, you know, my cat's doing something cute and I'm like <laughs> looking at my cat or something like that. Um, so it can be just a little bit easier to lose focus on something like this. And I think this is definitely a movie that does demand a high level of focus. Hmm. So I would say even if I didn't like think this was the best movie ever, the performances are really strong. Like, like you said yeah. earlier, Michael Stolberg is really great. Elizabeth Moss is great. She kills it. So, and I I love where her career's going. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I just watched the most recent season of Handmaid's Tale because I was kind of behind, and the amount of times that Elizabeth Moss does this like little head tick <laughs> in mm-hmm. in that, and then coming and watching her and Shirley, I'm like, oh, okay, she's got her thing down. <laughs> she has perfected it. <laughs> I thought so. it was really cool. Um. To get to see her play almost the opposite of the character that she does play in Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. In Handmaid's Tale, June lives in a house with a professor's wife who doesn't leave the house. Right. 
And then she's kind of mm. getting to play that role now, which right. is interesting. Yeah. And uh, kind of that idea of like creativity and madness going hand in hand is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. It's probably a mm-hmm. lot of fun to play. <laughs> well, and I mean, she also plays a role that's very much in that same kind of vein with her smell. Yeah. You know, that idea of creativity and and. That's more of a lifestyle thing. I, I guess you you could say from a certain perspective, this is a lifestyle kind of piece as well. Like sure. That they're, they're different ends of the spectrum, obviously, with her smell, her being just completely out there all the time, wildly partying, and what kind of toll that takes on her versus here, she just becomes more introverted and more, yeah. you know, isolated. She's more, um, more Howard Hughes in this one. She's like yeah, exactly. really becoming agoraphobic and having a hard time just like leaving her front porch and stuff and right yeah which is also a very interesting theme to touch on right totally now. totally to watch that right quarantine. now <laughs> it hits different i'll say yeah. that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i elizabeth moss was was really great here and i think odessa young did a great job like stepping up and going toe-to-toe with she her. was very um, good and i haven't really yeah. seen her in much so yeah i thought no, I. neither have i yeah i thought she no. was really great um I want to say she's like in. I'm gonna check IMDb. So she's she is in Assassination Nation, but yeah, um, I never saw that one. But yeah, I can't think of anything else maybe that she's been in that I've seen. So yeah, it's it's definitely kind of uh, interesting. Her character kind of is sort of like a watcher, like a fly on the wall for a really long time, and then right. becomes more and more of an influence eventually on her own. So we can definitely right. talk about that in spoilers. But yeah, it's it's kind of a cool setup. Yeah. There's definitely like a two-way influence thing yeah. going on there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see the lessons that both these characters learn from each other mm. over the course of the movie. Yeah, I was definitely disappointed at first that the film didn't feature Elizabeth Moss more prominently. I thought she was mm-hmm. going to be at the forefront of the film. Yeah. But clearly the film doesn't work with Shirley as the main character. Yeah. So you need someone yeah. like a foil to get into that lifestyle. Because if, if you didn't have someone who is the person who ushered you in, it would just be madness from the start. Right. Yeah. yeah. You need someone to kind of observe this this unique sort of madness from an exterior perspective to really get the kind of impression of how much of a character she is, you know. Right. And and seeing, you know, this movie takes course over a, a long period, probably like a year at least, right? Yeah, because I mean, at least it's got to be at least nine months. Yeah, it's got to be about a year, mm-hmm. I would imagine, because like, yeah, so. Rose and then her husband is supposed to. So I, I was wondering, is he supposed to be sort of like a TA? He's like a young professor, right? Yeah, he mm-hmm. seems to be. Yeah. So just to kind of set the scene a little bit more. Um, so, right. Shirley is a writer who is at home. Her husband, um, whose name is Stanley, mm-hmm. S- Stanley Hyman. <laughs> uh, I will admit yeah. I giggled when I heard yeah. that name for the first time. So he's a professor. Um, he's a professor, <laughs> right. And then um rose and then her husband fred um are new i guess fred is newly working at this this college where um professor hyman works 
and they kind of move in so that Rose can take care of Shirley, sort of like take care of things around the house yeah. while Shirley's trying to write a new book. It's supposed um, to be temporary, is, but it like quickly exactly. quickly turns really yeah. inappropriate when he's like, yeah, you can help with some cooking and some cleaning and whatever right. while you're here because you're not working. So, <laughs> Right, yeah. right. Um, and so Fred is trying to be, be kind of move his way up and become a professor at the uh, or a, a tenured professor at the school, right? Um, while Rose is just trying to help Shirley out with her with her life, right? Yeah, and I, I it's interesting because it definitely um, when I looked it up, I think that's it, they said that that story got published by Shirley in the New Yorker, nineteen forty eight. So okay. it's very much like late late forties, early fifties, because it, it definitely gives you the fifties vibe where right. Rose's character we find out pretty early on is pregnant and she's not working, so she hasn't finished school. So without you know going into any more detail on that, it's very much the like, oh well, you can take over the cooking and the cleaning and take care of my wife who's a great author but she's also a shut-in and she's kind of loco so yeah she kind of she's just lost the ability to take care of herself yeah really. yeah i mean she seems to kind of go through manic depressive spells as well she's where she's big just drinker spends all day in bed yeah. yes drinks heavily yeah. yeah um well we pretty much hit on like the basic notes of the story i think we've kind of shared most of our general impressions are you guys ready to go into some spoiler territories anything else do you want to say spoiler free before we jump in there. If for someone who's maybe just listening to the spoiler-free section of this movie, I mean, it's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. It's out there. Yeah. Um, so if you've got a Hulu account, um, that's accessible. And I think it's also on you know most of the other streaming services for, for a pretty standard rental fee, five bucks or something like that. Yeah. So I personally would say maybe know what you're getting into going in. It's definitely not a horror movie. Yeah. Um, it is a maybe a, a psychologically traumatic character study <laughs> yeah and yeah. it's beautifully it's a, shot it oh, looks yeah. great definitely and the costuming yeah. is really really nice like very well done yeah and their performances are, are great as well yeah mm-hmm. definitely worth a watch yeah but it's weird yeah, i would say it's a, it's a qualified <laughs> recommendation yeah. yeah it's weird it's cool um know what you're getting into uh probably not for everyone but i think it's definitely worth checking out yeah i would definitely say it's worth like just shy of two hours of your time for sure mm-hmm yeah, yeah, it definitely doesn't overstay. It's it's welcome with the runtime. Mm-mm. It's only an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. So cool. All right, let's take a quick break and then we will be right back and we'll dive into some of those those uh, deeper topics we, we touched on so far. So I want to kick off this spoiler discussion with kind of more of a deep dive on the four of these characters and the relationship that they have with each other especially at the beginning of this movie and then kind of how that relate those, that relationship between the four of them really kind of changes and, and evolves over the flick. Cause I think that's really like the meat of this movie. And I, what I think is like kind of the, one of the more interesting aspects of it. Yeah, definitely. So we set it up a little bit beforehand, but you know, um, Rosie and her husband come to live with Shirley, um, Shirley and Stanley at the beginning of this movie and you kind of get like, you know, Rosie and and uh and Fred are like, you know, young lovers, they're married. Uh Shirley's pregnant. Um Rose is pregnant. Seem, oh no, yep, Rosie's <laughs> pregnant. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, and she hasn't told her 
She hasn't told Fred yet. <laughs> right. That's yeah. kind of yeah, the interesting thing. Is that, that true? Yeah. I think maybe that, Fred did know, but they weren't telling other people. They were like trying to play it coy. I, I wasn't sure. I I was debating on like whether he knew or whether he was just like playing along once Shirley mm-hmm. kind of outed Rose at the dinner table and was like, So when are you gonna tell us about this shotgun wedding of yours? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, uh oh. Yeah. Which yeah, maybe yeah. maybe he did know and he was just like pretending not to for decency. <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. I, yeah, yeah may, could go either way, really. I think they played it ambiguously yeah. enough where you could read into it either way. But right. yeah, it definitely gives you like a sense of Shirley's prickliness yeah. like, right at the beginning. Like she is not afraid to say exactly what is on her mind. Totally, she is not going to pull any punches in that regard. But neither does her. Neither does Stanley. I mean, part of what I think struck me fairly early in this movie because I think. You know, they, they really establish, like, Shirley is is troubled, let's say. Okay. Um, she, uh, right, I think we can agree with that. Like, she is, she's eccentric, and she's probably having some, some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of, and I, 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 they never really, like, explicitly went deeper into this, but it, I kind of got the sense that the relationship maybe, like, between Stanley and Shirley, like, Stanley seemed to me like a pretty... Not explicitly abusive, but maybe mentally abusive in a lot of ways. I think, I think maybe has driven Shirley to this. Yeah, point. I definitely think he likes his role of being like her editor or giving her notes or like being sort of like the gatekeeper to her success. He's sort of like right. dictating, like, well, let's let's help you focus so that you do right, and then other times, kind of indulging her with booze and whatever, and like letting her life just crumble until he's ready to like focus on her again. It's kind of nuts. Right. And he's always sort of patronizing towards Very her much as so. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely is one of those, you know, those people that thinks very highly of himself, thinks that he's the smartest person in the room right. at all times. Yeah. And especially towards Shirley, he treats her like she's just like, you know, subservient to him really and i think that's one of the the more interesting one of the the key themes of this movie is both of these women the relationship that they have to their husbands and how they're treated by their husbands especially when you consider the time frame that this is set Mm. in and kind of how through each other i feel like they find more confidence um and they kind of like propel each other up a little bit. I think that Stanley is actually very intimidated by Shirley. And I think he recognizes that Shirley is mm-hmm. far more intelligent than he yeah. is. Yeah. And she's, I think that's why he keeps her down and tries yeah, she's to She's like, the one with the actual talent. Household. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, I. It, this I think this 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 term gets thrown around a lot now, but I I it, my immediate impression of this movie is like, is Stanley just gaslighting? Shirley oh, here, yeah. and that is what has driven her to madness. Like, is that why she is in the state she's in? Is just because he and I thought maybe the movie was gonna go down that route, especially since I don't think we mentioned this in the spoiler free zone, or maybe we we touched on it. But the book that Shirley is writing is um, based on a disappearance of a young girl that lived in this town, went to the college that Stanley works at, right. and then there's like a, sort of an implication that maybe you know. She was abducted or or murdered by someone who has had some sort of authority position at the school, which Stanley would fit the bill for. Right. Um, and the way that he talks to her, to Shirley, um, 
I sort of got the the impression maybe early on that that's where the movie was going to go. That's where this this mystery was going to unfold with was like, okay, Stanley's the killer and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't go down that route. And I think I'm glad that it didn't because it takes more of, um, you know, it's there again, the, the, like the plot points of this movie are not as like, um, simple or explicit as that. It's a little, there's a little more nuance to yeah. it. Yeah. Sadly, I do think that on the one hand, I do think that Stanley is gaslighting her. But mm-hmm. I think this movie also does glorify the tortured artist. Mm. And I don't think yeah. there's anything in the film that makes me believe that Shirley doesn't like being tortured. I think mm-hmm. she thinks that if she is in pain, she's going to do her best work. Mm. And it's through those painful experiences that she trudges to get herself to open up. And I think right. um, it's a very abusive relationship both ways. Right, but I I think Shirley is much more hurting herself by it. I don't think Stanley is necessarily hurting himself. I think he is much better off in this situation, even though he isn't producing yeah. the genius work that Shirley is. It mm-hmm. it's definitely like it's got a little bit of a vibe of the like um the uh, that play that's like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something like that, where it's sort of like this married couple where you know they're both kind of abusive to each other. And one of them could leave, but they don't. So it's sort of like that back that right. back and forth of where he's he's kind of like, oh, I recognized her talent and I knew I had to marry her. And she's kind of like keeping her stuff from him. And then at the same time is really happy when he does praise her. So it's kind of like, it's right. you know, she <laughs> is kind of getting something from him, even though he's also the instigator of like, physically dragging her out of bed and then later on in the day pouring her a giant scotch so i'm kind of like okay (laughs) yeah yeah they're like somewhat parasitic to each other but also symbiotic you know they they need they depend on each other even if they're antagonizing each other like like part of that is like they're open with each other that i feel like it's it's pretty clearly implied that stanley's having some kind of an affair with the dean's wife and Mm -hmm. you know it upsets Shirley, but Shirley's kind of like, as long as you keep certain things separate, like she's not allowed to call during dinner or, you know, right. whatever, or like, oh, I'm not going to just let you go to the Dean party by yourself. I'm actually going to be there. Tough luck. I'm coming, you know? So it's like. Right. So it's. And she takes the opportunity to confront the Dean's right. wife in that instance. Too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting what you said about, you know, um, how the the her writing sort of takes something or like hurts or takes something out of her because she says at the end when she finished finally finishes her book at the end like this one hurt yeah but she's also told throughout the movie by multiple people you know your writing just makes me feel you know she is this movie's not explicitly a horror movie but she is explicitly more of a horror thriller writer and and she's told by multiple people that like your your book just made me feel awful it's great because it made me feel so strongly but it made me feel awful right um, and you can see kind of how, at least in her own mind, she's she's pouring that blood into the into the page in order to uh, get that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, what about the young couple? <laughs> so yeah, I think I think they they kind of reflect maybe an earlier phase directly of of Shirley and Stanley, where you know Fred is trying to become a professor he's trying to you know 
carve out this own sort of place for himself, but he's also like infidelity is part of that there kind of right from the beginning. Um, and Rosie is sort of, you know, just young. She's just fulfilling this role as a, a, a young um, wife um, and a mother to be. And she's kind of just doing the cooking and cleaning and, you know, filling her, her, her you know, um, gender defined role, especially for the time. And, as she kind of spends more time with Shirley and gets to know Shirley more, I think she kind of gains some of the confidence to not break that role and mm. I, or not be in that yeah. role. And, and, and her final line of the movie is, you know, Fred telling her, Oh, just, you know, we'll just come cause things have kind of come to a head by the end of that movie. And then Fred kind of says to her like, Oh, we'll just, you know, take it easy. We'll, we'll calm down. Everything go will back go back to, to normal. normal. She's like, go back to normal. That was madness. And like the normal part of her life really is the madness part right. because she's just, you know, she's not really allowed to be her own person or do anything that she wants or work or be creative yeah, or anything. It's kind of she's implied kind of, that she didn't get to finish going to school because she got pregnant. Right. And she's sort of waiting, you know, uh, Shirley kind of taunts her like, oh, so Fred's going to let you go back to school later. That's nice of him. Right. <laughs> See, I think uh, that was a little bit leading to my disconnect with the beginning of the film. Yeah. Because I think the film itself has a hard time remembering if it's writing women in a very feministic modern way that we see them now, or if they should be writing women as they would have been in the 50s. Mm. And I feel like the film really struggles with that. Sure. And um, the first scene of the film is Rosie and Fred on the train going to Bennington and Rosie gets aroused from reading this very well-written piece of fiction, and she's the one who instigates this public sex on this train. Right. And I thought that Mm -hmm. that was very forward-thinking and also really illustrated that she is an ambitious young woman. Yeah. And then immediately once they get to the home in Bennington and they're around Shirley and uh, Stanley, in that first one of those first dinner scenes where Shirley is antagonizing her, and Rosie gets up from the table because she just can't handle it. It just seems like, wait a second. She seems like a character who should have been able to handle to that, that kind of conversation. Yeah. But they like very easily relegate her into this very housewife role very yeah. quickly. And maybe that's through the design of Shirley and Stanley telling her, well, now you're just basically our maid. Right. It's interesting, too, because I, I felt like with her reaction to reading the story in The New Yorker, I thought, like, when she first got to the house, she's, like, a little, almost, like, a tiny bit starstruck. Like, she's, like, mm-hmm. she's like mm-hmm, oh, I read definitely. this awesome piece and this author and I want to talk to her. And there's it's during a party and Shirley's, like, either half drunk or also just out of it and doesn't want to be bothered talking to another professor's wife. So mm-hmm. it sort of, like, puts a damper on that. And then, yeah, maybe kind of calling it out and during the dinner table and having that come from somebody who you were like, oh, I'm going to meet this great author that I'm excited about. I don't know. But I know what you mean. Like, it sort of put a damper on her character pretty early on. Mm -hmm. But I think that's probably what the movie is going for in a way, because I think they want to illustrate that Rosie is this, you know, independent or or strong uh, woman character. But... It's it's when she's actually put into the more like she's put into a, a social interaction where now she's expected to be a certain right. way where she just doesn't have like the confidence to 
say like no fuck you i'm like not doing this yeah because that's like her role in society and especially at that time like that is what is expected of her as a woman and it's again it's it's her relationship with shirley that where she's like really gains the perspective to be like no i'm i'm do like i'm not going back to that yeah you know right i was so so like michael stuhlbarg's character stanley is like pretty He's pretty gross at times, like, you know, Very he's gross, having yeah. his affair with the dean's wife who is age appropriate, but he's like constantly very handsy or leering at Rose, you know, sneaking up on her when she thinks it's her husband who's behind her and it's him or, you know, it's probably implied that he's friendly with students and things like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't really expect for Rose's husband, the Fred character, to end up sleeping with students or cheating on his wife because i don't know i just felt like his character was too boring almost to go for that like i just didn't see yeah there was not a lot to his character yeah like i just i just thought it was just gonna be like he's busting his ass trying to get this tenure position and michael stolberg's character is is putting him through the ringer because he thinks he's boring i didn't think that it was going to end up being actually true that he would you know, potentially cheat on his wife because Rose is probably not that much older than the students at the college. She's probably right. She's probably the same age, even. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if maybe they were going for like I don't know. It's hard to say because I, I do think that that Fred in this this case is you know his character is not given the sort of attention or time yeah. to really give any of that reflection. We don't really know what his perspective is, and he is from what we're presented with, very boring. Yeah. There's, like, just nothing to him, yeah. really. Um, I see it a little bit, because, like, there's a lot of... They spend a lot of time where Rosie is kind of just, like, looking at herself in the mirror, mm. um, especially as she gets more and more pregnant. And I wonder if it's... From her perspective, it's like, oh, is my husband no longer interested in me physically because, like, my body is changing. Right. So Also, too, um, I've... We're only given that information that Fred is, in fact, sleeping with someone else, maybe from, multiple people, right. from Shirley at the end of the film. Yeah, and, and she's it's right not when, reliable. No, and it's right when Rosie tells her, like, well, Stanley's kicking us out. And Shirley's retaliation, most of the film, is using her words to hurt people. Right. And right. so that's when she... Which, that's her job. Yeah. She's, she seems to be pretty yeah, good at that. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's hard to even fully understand whether it was happening or not happening. But then yeah. when Rosie does confront Fred at, at the campus, he does say, we can't talk about this here. Yeah, he seems so he guilty. So he does kind of... Yeah, he does seem guilty in those regards. Yeah. I mean... My impression right from the get-go, right when he was, like, staying late at campus and coming home smelling like booze, I was like, that guy is stepping out. Like, yeah. especially the first scene where he comes home and he's drunk and she starts coming on to him and he's like, no, 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 don't touch me. Like, okay, let me smell your dick, dude. Like, <laughs> where you been? Um, because I don't I don't trust that guy from the get-go. Yeah. It, it definitely seems that the way that university is run as well is kind of like a fraternity. Fred was definitely getting hazed very early on Mm -hmm. in order to see if he would be a good fit if he could just be one of the boys yeah Mm -hmm. there is also um we mentioned this off off mic but uh diana you were talking about how the it seems like the school is only like an all-women's school that was the impression i got i don't know if that 
so I looked it up. It is a real college. I don't know if maybe it was a women's college and now it's co-ed. But um, I mean, that's, you know, when you follow them to that classroom and he's like playing music for them, it seemed like the students were predominantly women or all women. Yeah, I didn't know. I did not notice. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I can't Um, remember from that first opening shot behind stanley mm-hmm. if it was all women but i do remember some of the other accompanying shots yeah of just being women in the front of the classroom at the right. very least yeah right and there's that interesting moment like the first time they're on campus where there's like those girls kind of standing there and they all give rosie like a weird look sort yeah of. and then almost right afterwards Shirley says like she's a witch so there's like <laughs> almost like little like a little bit there's like a witchy vibe to it kind yeah. of and like what's going on with this and then they kind of just like step away from that maybe that sinks into the background of like I don't know this is like a source of temptation for for these men at the college but they never like really spend much more time yeah I think that to that idea that was something that also disappointed me that there wasn't much follow through on that because mm. that was one of my favorite scenes at the beginning of the film when they were on campus and they see all mm-hmm. those women basically like dancing in the tree right and I thought that was right. very cool and I thought that they were inviting the understanding that women are there for the women gaze instead of the the men gaze ah. which is uh what I was hoping mm. for yeah. and then especially when Rosie has that dream about those women and that tree Again, it's like her fantasy rather than a male fantasy. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. But by the end of the film, I felt like the film itself was placing women in a very different role than what I hoped they would mm. by the culmination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one of those women that's on campus, I just looked it up because I meant to do this because she looks so familiar. Oh, she's she's um, Haunting a Hill House. She's from the Haunting of Hill House. So, yes. So I noticed that too. And um, I just looked it up. So the author, Shirley Jackson, wrote Haunting of Hill House. Yes, that's which true. I, which I didn't oh, remember. Okay. So I was like, oh, okay. okay. All right. Yeah. That brings it back full yeah. circle to yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. I've been meaning to read that book anyway, yeah. actually. So maybe now is finally <laughs> the time that I will actually do that. And she yeah, I think did, that uh, might be her books, most There's no colors yeah. or, or moving pictures or sound or anything with books, you know? So it's tough. <laughs> but I guess I'll, I'll give Lots it a Lots of more of a slog. <laughs> The gameplay is terrible. <laughs> There's, you know, not not great visuals or, or music. Or anything, so it's tougher for me, but I'll, I'll give it the a The frame go. rate, man. Frame rate sucks. <laughs> like one page for per for per sixty seconds. Forget it. <laughs> um. Anything else, kind of character wise? Well, I guess one of the the aspects that we haven't really touched on character wise is kind of the the relationship that develops between Shirley and and Rosie over the course of this because there's there's definitely like yeah you mentioned it with like the 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 female gaze Mm -hmm. um on the campus but there is like the you know they're developing a a friendship for for sure and like you know they've Shirley says it specifically like you know people in town talk about me like I'm I'm a freak right and they do like when Rosie goes to town they all kind of like say like oh she's she's an oddball yeah huh? she doesn't leave her house and, does she <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly there is like a like you know Rosie becomes kind of her one friend but then that sort of starts to evolve over the course of the movie um what did you two kind of think about that or take away from that um I mean part of it is I think sort of like that 
initially it's more of like a support role for Rose. Like she's mm-hmm. sort of like the one holding her up literally and trying to get her to just do what she needs to do. And then as it becomes more of like a give and take between them, there is some like genuine friendship or esteem for each other. Um, and I think part of it is like Rose is definitely like you said, you know, her husband came home late. He was like drunk. He doesn't want to have sex. Like, like she's young and in theory, like really starved for intellectual contact, physical contact, like all of it. And she's feeling very alone in this weird house. And so really the only other person she has any connection at all with is Shirley. So it it Mm -hmm. didn't totally surprise me that that would happen at some point with how close they were working together. But I mean, it didn't have to, but it it wasn't like off-putting or anything like that either. Right. It wasn't surprising. It didn't seem unearned, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I do think I agree with everything you said, Diana, for sure. Um, Sadly, though, I don't know. At first, I was really happy for them. And I do think a lot of that is earned and deserved. But a part of me wonders, too, how much. And I don't think Shirley is necessarily a villain in this film. But I wondered how much of that was also grooming on Shirley's part. Sure. Because Rosie seemed pretty impressionable. Yeah. And pretty easily molded. So there was a little bit of like a nefarious aspect for me watching that happen. Totally. Because even though it seemed like they were both consenting, I think it does start to bleed into the ethics of what was going on in that household. Yeah. It is, though, Rose that makes that first like explicit move there when they're on the swing. Yeah. When Shirley's on the swing. But I guess I I like to. To Burns' point, like, it probably started way earlier with just, like, the contact between them or the dialogue or things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, she's definitely making more and more of an impression on Rose. Because um, mm-hmm. even though Rosie did make the first physical move, it was almost as if Shirley was waiting there on the bench for her. She's provoking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. Definitely less gross than the the moves that Stanley uh, does. Yes, <laughs> I didn't want to see that, but yeah, that and he's one of those characters. You look at him, and you're just like, I just know that motherfucker has bad breath. I can just tell by looking at you that you're gross. Yeah, yep. Um, Coffee and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coffee and scotch, yeah. like all the yep. time. Um. <laughs> um. So then that kind of brings us to like you know how. I think an, another interesting aspect is, as we we touched on as well, and spoiler free, is how the the lines between reality in what she's surely is writing in this book and what is what she's taking from real life and where that kind of bleeds into each other um, is an interesting um, aspect of the movie. And it's something that I think has been like done in other movies before as well. Yeah. I think it's done fairly like nuanced here. Um, and I like the way it's done. Um, and that really like kind of lends to like that, that, um, big scene at the end, kind of the finale, um, when they go to the trail. So what, what were your thoughts on that? Burn, you want to go? You want me to go? I definitely thought Uh, that, I thought that like the, in this movie, having it kind of go between reality and the storytelling helped you get a little bit more used to the idea that some of what Shirley was seeing potentially wasn't real. Whereas like some Mm -hmm. other stories 
or films will try and just deal with maybe somebody not being quote unquote sane and then trying to show that on screen with like their, you know, losing touch with reality and actual reality. And I feel like here it worked a lot better because there was this framework of she's also writing the next few pages of her story and she's imagining what that scene's going to look like. So like she's picking apart the wording and being like, no, not this, this. And then all while that's happening, we're seeing uh, Odessa Young, the actress playing Rose, playing the character in the book. And that kind of helps with that weird kind of like, well, what the hell actually is going on? (laughs) I feel like it it makes it work a little bit better for sure in this film. Because they show two two aspects simultaneously where Rose steps up to the edge of this cliff and she's there with Shirley and then and then she's gone. And then at the same time it's showing her and Fred going in the car and moving yeah. out of their house and then leaving. So I really like the way that, that was framed. I like the way it was paced as well, where it's like they're together, they're there, she's gone. And like both of them are convincing at the same time. And it kind of bleeds into each other because Shirley's not in the scene where Rose approaches Fred on campus and kind of like calls him out. And then that sort of leads directly into them, the two of them going to the trail. And then that cuts back to them leaving the house. There's no, like the line there is really blurred between really what is actually happening and what might be in the story or, or, or what. Yeah. I think the, the film as an ending um, really only works for me. If I do imagine that Rose and Fred are characters in this book. Because Mm -hmm. really after that final scene where Stanley has read Shirley's work and he says it's brilliant, it's the best thing you've written, Um, this is the one, there's like no conversation about a couple previously living in their house. Yeah. They don't Mm -hmm. bring them up at all, which I think is great because the idea of Shirley killing off the main character, Paula, of her novel and closing the book on that and then the fact that Rose is, and I did some air quotes around Rose, is gone, that makes more sense to me. Because Rose started out as such a strong character, and I felt very saddened to see her walking down the street just completely ruined that her husband had Mm -hmm. cheated on her. Yeah. And that that caused her that amount of discomfort, and that she was that incredulous about the event at at all. It just seemed like it really, like, took a very strong, powerful woman and boiled her down to almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And I found that that was the derivative part for me. So it works so much better to me if she actually was just a character in the story the entire mm. time. Plus, like, that sequence at the end when, um, you know, they go to the trailhead and Shirley starts out holding the baby. And then you're kind of like, she's just holding her coat at the end. You're like, there's no indication that that looks like... She doesn't have the baby? Well, yet? I feel like it's like it's supposed to be kind of misleading. Like she's, she's Mm. holding the baby and then it sort of starts to look like she may just be holding a jacket. And then at the end, Rose is gone and it's just Shirley and she's definitely not holding a baby then. So it's, it's kind of like a weird. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, I think it's cool that you can have that interpretation. Yeah. Um, And the movie allows for that. It's almost like the book itself was the baby that she was holding at the end. (laughs) I like that. Oh, I love some good symbolism. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because otherwise I find the Rosie character 
left frail and fragile, even though she does stand up to Fred in that last scene where she says, I can't go back. Right. That is a very powerful stance. But the idea of her being at the cliff's edge, thinking about maybe committing suicide is very disappointing Mm. to me as a character, because I I feel like she is stronger than that. Yeah. And so to say that women live or die by what the men in their lives do to them is Mm -hmm. a very disappointing way to read the film. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because the the idea that as soon as she's done writing the book, then they would have to move out. She's like, well, might as well Mm -hmm. get them out. So from that standpoint, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but it is an interesting way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they just get them out. Like, they don't, they're not necessary anymore. The characters are gone. Right. Sorry, Jack, what were you going to say? But then you could you could read that character's ending the two different yeah. ways as well, with her either killing herself because the the Rose and or I guess the Paula I guess would be the stand-in, right? Because that's the missing girl. Yeah. The one that that may or may not have leapt off the cliffside is different than Rose, um, and it's almost more so. Paula is the one that goes off the edge of the cliff, and Rose is the one that decides like. I'm not going to be the subservient right. wife anymore. Like that lifestyle is madness. Right. To me. Like, like so, we're we're not going you back get, to normal. You get both kind yeah. of. I mean, you could read it as she is inventing this character of Rose, and then reflecting off that character to create another character that she's projecting onto mm. Paula. But. Either way, I think it, you know, there's nothing in the movie that would like disprove any of those reads. And I think that makes it stronger. Yeah. And if you do kind of consider it as being totally fictionalized, then that's interesting too, because then those can all be like facets of Shirley's character. Like they can be parts of her mental illness or personality where she's thought about maybe committing suicide. And then other times being like, no, fuck off. I'm going to keep doing this, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah I, I, th- I think that other scene in the in the film where Rosie is looking at the library book and decides to try to stoke Shirley's curiosity more about Paula, that she erases right. the name on the library card, the library yeah. slip, and physically signs her name as Paula above her own name. It's almost like she is, in fact, like assuming that role as well. So there's a lot of bleed through. Yeah, it's very open to interpretation. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. It was I. I read that part too. Is as she was. That was like a desperate attempt because that was when they were already kind of ostensibly being kicked out. Um, Yeah. So she was like, "Oh, I need to do something um, urgent right now to try to get." To try to convince Shirley, like, oh, no, you need me here to, like, help you figure this right. out. Like, we're, we're solving this mystery together. Yeah. And then Shirley just kind of rejects that outright. Yeah. What did you guys think about, like, I found it interesting that, so we spend all this time with Rose, like, while she's pregnant. And then it just jumps all of a sudden. And baby's born. Mm-hmm. And the baby's been there a little bit. And they're still living there. But I was just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was weird to kind of have that time jump, I thought. Yeah, I don't I don't always love when movies take place over a course of a long yeah. period of time because especially as the pace of the movie seems to accelerate and it seems like the tension between these characters is growing. Mm. When you just kind of throw in a time skip like that, I feel like that dissolves a little bit of the tension that's kind of building yeah. up in the pacing there. Especially 
that jump happens right after Shirley and and Rose become more flirtatious with right. each other and start to become like physical yeah. with each other, and then they, she just kind of has the baby. The time jumps and like then they kind of let that go. Yeah. Um. So I don't love yeah. that. It is a little weird. Yeah. It did make it seem almost like a chapter book. Yeah. Which was kind maybe of. intentional. Yeah. 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 Although the scene transition from the bonfire at the Dean's party into the snow was probably one of the best transitions in the film. Oh, which yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do really like the way that this movie is shot, even if it is disorienting a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Made me definitely want to watch uh, her other movie, Madeline's Madeline. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly will be going back and, and checking out more of, uh, of Josephine Decker's work, and I definitely... Well, at least check out Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. I want to read that. Yeah, well, we're like sending a little bit of shout outs. Uh, the writer of this film is Sarah Gubbins, and I was mm-hmm. unfamiliar with her as a writer by name, but by work. Um, she wrote four episodes of Better Things, which is oh. the Pamela Adlin show on FX, which is yeah. fantastic. Oh, okay. And then she created and wrote... The TV series I Love Dick, which starred oh. Catherine Hahn, and I think it was I want to watch Evan that. Bacon. But yeah, that looked really good too. So yeah. those are the three things that Sarah Gubbins is involved with, and she does have a very female centric writing style, which I really like. Very cool. Mm. Yeah, so worth nice. checking out for yeah. sure. Definitely, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's a it's a cool movie for sure. Uh, any closing thoughts here? Um, um, I think get out of the way. my favorite scene, I will say the scene that had me roped in the most, and then I was disappointed that nothing quite met that height again for the rest of the film, is the scene where Stanley is telling Shirley, like, you can't even write. Like, what are you even doing all day? Mm. You don't even know your protagonist. And where Shirley says, you mean to tell me that I don't know what it is to be a woman who just wants to be heard? Ooh. I, mm-hmm. I, I know yeah. all of those women. I've known plenty of women. Right. And I thought that that was a very powerful scene that was cut too short and also wasn't really echoed any further. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or the movie went on, which was a bummer, but it was a fantastic scene. Yeah. Yeah. It it speaks to their relationship, too, because then at the end of the movie, he praises her book and he's praised her book in the past as well, you know, her, her work in the past. So, like, it's it goes back to that idea of, like, you know. Is this an antagonistic relationship or are they pushing each other's buttons enough to get the kind of reaction that they want? Mm. Like he's almost like provoking her into to get right. the better work. Um, to like to like be better. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Ugh. And it's cool. I, I think it's cool that the characters are not so cut and dry that it's just one way or another. It's not just like, okay, Stanley's gross. Um, he is he's a villain and he's gonna turn out he's gonna be the one that like murdered um the, that missing right. girl like i think it's a much more interesting um story to he can be gross but also he can have a relationship with shirley that might be complicated um might not always be healthy but like at the end of the movie they're like dancing right. with each other you know that's the yeah. close of the movie is these two like dancing with each other celebrating like the completion of this book even if it you know they went through a lot of pain and turmoil to get there right very right. true I definitely think I have a better appreciation of this film, even though I just watched it like three hours ago, um, <laughs> after having this discussion and really sussing definitely, it out. Yeah, letting it sink for in. For sure. It's, 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 a, it's definitely better the more time you take to kind of digest it and consider it. 
I think. I, I do think I am glad that I didn't see this at a more formative time of my life. I think Ooh. as a high schooler <laughs> watching this film, it's like very romanticized of ah. trauma. And so I'm glad I'm watching it now as a woman who better understands herself. <laughs> sure. Sure. Great. Well, thank you both for uh, for joining me and talking about this movie. Yeah. Um, this is not the only podcast that Story Screen Presents does. You two have been up to a, a bunch of stuff, right? Talk talk on that. Ooh. Plug. Yeah, we got some Tri-Kai 9. We're going to be posting some of those. Burns got some stuff in the works for Cathoid Raycast. Yeah, yeah we're going to be doing a Cathoid Raycast where we talk a little bit about devs and Westworld, which is going to be exciting. Cool. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. So look for that in the near future. Yeah. Check it out. So you can find all of that on Spotify, SoundCloud, under Story Screen Presents, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Hopefully you probably already are familiar with that if you're listening to this now. You can also go to StoryScreenBeacon.com to check out all kinds of articles, reviews, more podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, eventually, Showtimes will be back on there. <laughs> we're, we're moving towards that. Don't worry. We want to be back in that theater as much yeah, as you there's do. There's some good stuff on um, there right now for digital streaming. So you can always yes, check those out, yeah, too. Speak on yeah, that. I just watched I Am Not Your Negro, and I had not seen that the first time when it was released. And it's very good. So, yeah, there's some, there's a good, uh, bio, the real biopic on Toni Morrison. Um, there's, is it These Streets documentary about kind of what we're going through right now, um, but taking place yeah, right so, after Ferguson, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. So for those unfamiliar, um, there are some exclusive uh, streaming movies that are on our website that yeah. you can check out and rent and yeah. watch. Um, and you can also uh, support us if you if you like this podcast um, or any of our story screen podcasts by joining our exclusive uh, membership club, monthly membership yeah. club. I think that's it's five bucks. Five dollars. Right? What a five steal. Dollars. Five bucks a month. <laughs> I know we all know times are tight, but if uh, you have the five bucks a month, we very much appreciate it. And that will get you some exclusive bonus content as well. So there's some some over drinkers episodes that are. Uh, up already and more in yeah. the works. Mike and I uh, talked about Eraserhead. Oh, I got, a I got to listen to that. And so that nice. episode, I, I do not actually know if that episode is. Okay. Up. I don't think it's uh, probably by the time this okay. comes up out, it might, it might. I'm be excited, up, but uh, but there's <laughs> some other exclusive stuff on there too. Some exclusive videos that that uh, the Story Screen fam has been working on. So check that out. Uh, and the last thing I'll plug is our social media. So we're on Story underscore Screen underscore Beacon on Instagram and story underscore screen on Twitter. And there has been a lot more activity on those feeds. Uh, so check that stuff out and keep in touch with us. And if you have something to say to us, if you watch Shirley and you dug it, hit us up on there. If you didn't dig it, hit us up just the same. <laughs> we welcome all opinions. Yeah. Yes. We are here to have conversations about movies. If you haven't garnered that, that's, that's kind of our whole deal yet. Then, uh, well, here's me telling you explicitly. <laughs> Come talk to us about movies. <laughs> All right. Thank you both again for joining me. I'm Jack Kolodzeski. Diana DeMiro. White. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you guys. You too. Nice to see you both too. Thanks. Bye. Have a good night. Bye, guys.
started. What beer are you drinking, Bernadette? I am drinking this Rec League by Harpoon. Oh, Ooh, Harpoon, it's nice. very good. Ooh, nice. It's only 4.0. It's good. Nice. I've got uh, the Super Soft IPA. Oh, yeah. That's a good oh. one, too. I, like I love can. that teddy bear. Yeah. 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 It's really nice for just like um, like an afternoon beer, you know? It's not too... Exactly. Not too heavy. <laughs> yeah. I got it from... Do you know that the the little beer store that... Or like... Oh, but... It's like a little like convenience store, but it's got beer... Yeah, I finally got to try Juicier Bomb, and it's very good. Oh, really? Ooh. Oh, shit. I oh, try I want to try that. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. 